there I was completely wasted, out of work and down. All inside so frustrated I was drift from town to town. Feel as though nobody cares if I live or die. So I might as well begin to put some action on my life. Break it the law, break it the law. So much for the golden future, I can't even start. I had every promise broken, there's anger in my heart. You don't know what it's like, you don't have a clue. If you give, if you did, you'd find yourself doing the same thing too. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Breaking the law, breaking the law. Oh, that felt good. Oh Welcome God. to the Good Bottle Podcast. This is Chris Sinclair. I am your host along with my co-host, Drew Garrison. Hello. What's up, buddy? <laughs> so before that, you said, I'm not going to go that long with it. I know where to cut it off. No, you don't know where to cut it off. No, you don't at all. And I think it, I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do the lyric read, you have to do it as a straight read. You had way too much rhythm to it, so it just sounded. I'm sorry, man. I just I felt it as soon as I started going. I felt it. Yeah, I mean, you could feel the energy rising as you went through it. You should have cut it off after the first break in the law, but Could you kept it. going, and I got to tell you, not a fan. <laughs> I was like, maybe he'll stop now. Maybe he'll stop now. And then we got to it a was, minute, and you weren't done yet. To me. Oh my god! To me. Well, in the future, just you know, read it. Yep, reading it is funny because you're just kind of like, because you don't immediately make the connection on where it's from when you just read the lyrics. I know, but I felt it, so, you know, um, sue me. All right, I will. I will. That's fair. It's the house of new litigation, sir. <laughs> um, good Lord. Uh, what's going on, man? How's your pandemic treating you? Uh, you know, I uh, am polishing off some of my favorite booze, which makes me happy and sad all at the same time. How about you? Ooh, what are you, what are you drinking? I am drinking my uh, Sacacuento Hoven, which is uh, Topola, and my I just killed my bottle, and it makes me sad. Uh, it also took me like uh, four years to kill the bottle, but I'm still sad <laughs> that it's empty. Uh, that's a long time to be drinking something. Yeah, it's really good though, you know, and so uh, usually what that means is I drink three quarters of the bottle in the first day. <laughs> and then it takes me and then it takes me another like year or two to get through the, the rest of it. <laughs> so do you have any concerns about um, like the bottle becoming oxy- oxygenated or oxidi- or oxidizing the bottle because there's that much room in it? Yeah, totally, but that's not enough to make me drink it and like get rid of it. I see. So you're I okay. Like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's a thing. I admit it's a thing. It's it makes me unhappy. <laughs> but I don't have a bank account to be able to purchase these things as often as I would like to. Right. Right. Yeah, I I sometimes I worry about a lot of the bottles that I have because I do the same thing. Um I'll drink a lot of it and then I won't touch it for a while. And, um, you know, then of course, like you'll be on some Facebook group and be like, you know, when it gets to only a third left, you should transfer it to a different bottle or finish it off or whatever. And I'm just like, yeah, I'll do it. And I have like bottles that I lay out to do it. (laughs) 
<laughs> and then I don't do it. Um, and it's very confusing for all of us. Uh, well, you know, at least for whiskey, like that's why, that's why I started my infinity bottle, right? Like that's it. It serves a double purpose. I, I fill up a decanter more than I would in just a, a regular bottle with additional booze. I, I have more space on my shelf in my bar, which my wife is happy about. Uh, so, you know, I don't have excess bottles littering the floor. Um, so that's great. And then I have something interesting to drink, uh, which I think is delicious, but you know, I'm sure you would shit all over it, but that's fine. Uh, you know, when I come around to drinking it. So there you go. Two birds, two birds, three birds, three birds, one stone. There you go. I had a, um, I got an interesting message from, uh, a friend of mine today. I haven't seen him in a couple of years, but we were, we were buddies in college and, um, he sent me this uh, website of a distillery out in like North Dakota or some shit like that. And um, he was like, he was like, Hey, you should check this out. If you ever get a chance. And so I looked at him and they had some cool stuff. They had like an aqua beat and um, they did a, they did a single malt. And then of course like a bourbon and, and gin and all that fun stuff. And so I asked him, I was like, so, you know, how, how's the uh, malt whiskey? Cause that's the one I would be interested in. He goes, Oh, well, I only have this one. It was a bourbon. And I was like, well, how is it? He's like, oh, it's probably, it's okay. It's not great. It's like a, probably a 6.7 on a scale of 1 to 10. <laughs> I was like, okay, that's cool. He goes, I can send you a sample if you want or to get you a bottle. And I was like, well, maybe if you get something that scores higher than a 7, you can send it to me. Because um, I, I don't want a bottle that you also think is inadequate. And then he, then he came to, but I was like, but I appreciate you reaching out to me and telling me. I think that's really cool of you. And he's just like, actually, every time I drink something new, I always wonder if you've had it and if you would like it or not. So I was like, that's amazing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Like, yeah. And I was like, and I, um, and I think it's because I can be so outspoken about that stuff that people do automatically make that assumption. Like there was one time I was at a liquor store and guy came in and, uh, and, and I had known him from a, a whiskey group and stuff. And I was in one of the other parts of the store and he kind of, bounced out quick and I went back and I was talking to the store owner and he was just like, yeah, he wanted to bounce out of here because he didn't, he didn't want you to see what he was buying just in case you didn't like it. And I was like, <laughs> like that's like some new levels of awesome unlocked for myself. Um, but uh, the thing that I'm drinking tonight, uh, I don't, I don't think anybody can really criticize cause it's goddamn delicious, but um, I have the single cast nation Altmore 30 year old. Um, well, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. We have a, we have a whiskey tasting that we're doing with Joshua Hatton next Saturday. And, um, one of the ones that we're pouring is the Altmore 30. And the way that we set it up was so that all the administrators in the river city whiskey group, whiskey society could get a little sample, you know, to partake in the tasting. And, um, so the Altmore 30 again, being part of that is a, you know, Altmore is a space side whiskey. And this one was distilled back in 1989 and then it was thrown into a first fill Oloroso sherry cask and then um, pulled out. It's at 57.1%. They only, only did 465 bottles of it. And it, I mean, the color on this thing is just ridiculous because there's, and there's no color at it, which is the beautiful part. So you is really it like get, a ruby red or is it? Yeah. Is it like, it's uh, a dark, yeah. dark ruby red. And um, that's cool. 
just a really fun whiskey and it's like one of those um earlier when we were drinking it one of the other guys was just like i don't know what i was expecting it wasn't this but fuck i love it (laughs) i was like put that on the bottle (laughs) um but yeah you know single castination is is definitely um become one of my favorites and i really really enjoy the stuff that those guys pick and you know and i I mean obviously there's some bias involved right where you're just kind of like okay like i'm really feeling this and stuff like that but i finally feel like i've come around to being like really honest with it too because there's a there's a couple other ones on this release that when i tried it i was like "Ooh, not for me not for me but the altmore 30 definitely for me it is a fantastic whiskey they did a great it's, job it. it is really impressive and i i don't think enough people even even whiskey nerds really appreciate what it takes to get a whiskey that ages well in barrel over over 16 years right i mean you find a yeah. lot of people who kind of bitch and moan about whiskeys tasting young at 15 or over extracted at 20 and I, I don't think enough people really, really appreciate the expertise that goes into to being able to push a juice to thirty years. You know, yeah, I yeah, mean that I, is that is some amazing skill set. And, and then you know, and obviously the patience involved with that is 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 obviously ridiculous. But um, yeah, and I think the with these casks, and a lot of people don't realize, like you know, you're you're tasting these pretty consistently, right? And you're trying to get a gauge of, of where this is at, where it needs, if it needs to lay down longer, if you're just kind of wondering what happens with it. And, um, you know, there was probably times during this cast life where they tried it and it was like, this is not good. Um, you know, I, I find myself with a lot of, a lot of whiskeys and things is I can really get into a lot of 12 year single malts. And then, you know, like the 15 to 18s, I just feel like they never resonate with me. There's just something that, I mean, there's obviously there's exceptions to that, but I often find myself kind of being like, oh, it's not really this, again, it's not really for me. But then that same distillery can come out with something that's maybe like 21 and that whiskey has continued to evolve. And I'm like, wow, this has really turned into something special. Again, you could talk, you like you had mentioned, you could get some over extraction and like the one that always blows my mind. Um, and I understand why people got excited about it, but when the Heaven Hill twenty seven came out, I was you know I was excited to try it. Heaven Hill is an amazing, amazing facility, and they do they do some awesome stuff. And when I tried it, I was just like, oh my god, I just feel like I just licked wet wood. You know, that's that was the only profile that I got out of it. Yeah. And, uh, and as I, and, you know, bourbon's tough, right? I mean, that's a, it's already, you know, it's not going to stand up the same way to a barrel that, that a malt is, you know, the barley is, but that was just one that every time I saw some people like, like, Oh man, this is so amazing. I'm like, am I not getting it? Like I started to like question my own palate. And then I, of course, reassessed who those people were. And I was like, never mind. They're, they're in the, <laughs> They're seeing the age and they're not seeing anything else. And then when I talked to other people, um, they were like, yeah, you know, I mean, it's a bourbon. It's beautiful bottle though. They did such a great job with that presentation. And if someone, you know, I think it's one of those really great gift bottles too. Like if someone's going to get that for you, I mean, come on, that's hard to beat. 
So, so there are some positives to it, you know, as long as you don't have to drink it. <laughs> well, fuck. <laughs> well, you know, and yeah. it could be one of those ones that, you know, you get some oxygen in there, it maybe opens up a little bit or you throw some ice on it, you know, it could, uh, it could evolve and stuff. Cause a lot of bottles do that too. Right. Well, it also might be another one of those that, like you were saying about uh, about while they were tasting that thirty year, you know, it hit a point where it just wasn't good, right? And but if you give it another year or two, still on wood, all of a sudden it becomes something magical. Yeah. You know, and some and they might have just pulled it too early or too early for you know your palate, but not too early for someone else's palate. Absolutely. Which like I, I said, which I guess is a good business move, right? Because you know, if you pull it now, you can still sell some of it at, at whatever markup that you're selling it. So. Yeah. I just, you know, uh, I, I think especially with bourbon, you know, you really start to push it when you get into the twenties, it's really, really hard to have a, um, I think, a, I think to have a bourbon in that age range that just doesn't feel over oaked, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. That's just too much time in a barrel. But well, given those diurnal shifts coming out of, at least I assume, well, specifically with this one, Kentucky, right? Like, it's it's pretty heavy. That's it's a lot of heat. It's also a lot of cold. It's a lot of moisture uh, in the air. Which getting to a higher age in 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 a uh, longitude, sorry, a latitude like Scotland is at least easier than it is doing so in Kentucky. And then if you were to drive even farther south, you know, that's why you don't find 30 year old tequilas, right? Like it just, it's not a thing because you're too close to the equator. It's yeah. too much heat. I mean, there's already like, you know, issues with that with extra and yehos, you know, like even when you start to push that envelope and of course there's exceptions to that, but man, you know, you get so much barrel, um, you know, exactly for that reason that, I mean, and I think that's always like a, when you hear people talk about seasons for whiskeys, you know, in the States and stuff like that, where it's like, well, you know, it's five years old, but it's been through 10 seasons, you know, like it's like, okay, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of push and pull that that whiskey's already been through. Right. You know? Right. Um, but yeah, there's definitely, definitely a lot less of that happening in those, uh, Warehouses in Scotland, for sure. But good time. All right. Let's talk about the rest of the episode. Uh, first first and foremost, we have our first listener uh, question uh, sent in to us, and so we're going to answer that. And then moving on, we've got, uh, we've got a wonderful interview that I did with Rick Dobbs that we're going to finish up the episode with. For sure. But I think we want to start, we're going to do, we're going to do one news story today. That's right. Because we, because we do have a lot of other stuff that, and the other stuff goes together outside of this. Right. Right. So should I pause for the insert of music? <laughs> yeah. Considering that I, uh, I remember it this time. If you remember it, it'll sound great. If I, re- if I remember it. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, hang on. Let me, uh, put a note in here. Wow, Hollywood magic, guys! You're just watching it evolve. <laughs> well, God damn it! You know what? 
I try so hard for you, Drew. You do. So we need to get a real producer one day. Yeah, someday. We'll get there. Um, so like I said, we're only going to do one headline, um, but this is something that we do want to revisit in a couple weeks because I don't think it's an issue that's going to be going away anytime soon. Um, but down in Mexico, there has been, unfortunately, quite a few deaths related to tainted alcohol consumption. In fact, we are up to a point where there has been um, 70 people have died. Uh, and one of the reasons is because alcohol production has stopped in Mexico and people are having to go to the black market and pick stuff up. And it's been a really brutal, brutal repercussions from that. So the biggest incident actually happened in Puebla and it was people who um, were at this mother's day party and they all got, they all got sick off of this tainted alcohol and then unfortunately died. And, um, you know, the government, you know, stopped the sale of alcohol and stuff like that in order to discourage public gatherings in order, you know, so they, so they could prevent the COVID uh, spread and stuff like that. And as we had talked about before, that very rarely ever works. And I think one of the outside of obviously like, you know, these people dying is, is horrible, but now you have certain organizations in Mexico who are using this as basically like a, like they're basically politicizing it and saying, this is why we need certification for all agave spirits and stuff like that. Cause we're trying to protect people, which I just personally feel is first of all, it's disgusting. And that's not the first thing that you should be talking about, you know? And then second, it's just like, really like these are not the same situation that you're trying to regulate versus what these people are picking up. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's a real unfortunate situation. Yeah. I think that's pretty silly. I mean, uh, obviously these people knew that they were buying something that was unregulated. That wasn't, that wasn't really the point. And even if this stuff was regulated, it would have been shut down. Right. And that it would have not been sold, which again is sort of the point. Right. So it's a silly, it's a silly method. I mean, but how's the quote go? Don't, don't let any good crisis go, uh, go unutilized or, or something along the lines. Right. I, I don't, I'm not surprised by the fact that the CRT or, uh, the, what is it that, that what's the mezcal MRT? It's a CRM. They're pretty close. Yeah. CRM, CRT, CRM. That, that's what yes. I, I, I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised that they were making an effort for that as well. Um, I think it's ridiculous. Um, I think it's incredibly sad that these people died from this. But like we talked about when when we saw that you know the the Corona uh, brewery was shutting down and everything like that, it we sort of saw this coming, right? Like we knew that people were going to start purchasing from elsewhere. Yeah. Well, and you know, and again, I, I think that ties into what we saw in South Africa as well is as soon as you tell people that they can't have something like they're going to find a way to get it, especially something that can be produced. I wouldn't say easily, but relatively easily you know 
And uh, yeah, the way I mean, it, safe, we, safely is another question, obviously, right? I yeah. Mean, given this story. Yeah. Uh, but but the production of which creating alcohol in you know in which someone can potentially consume it is is easy. Whether or not that's safe is a good question. Yeah, and the, like the really interesting thing too is that I mean, obviously the the assumption that you can make is that oh well. So they were making like unregulated tequila or unregulated mezcal or just some unregulated, you know, agave in general. And it was actually a brandy that they had consumed that has uh, taken out a bunch of people. So it's like not only are you using this crisis to push an agenda, but it's not even spirits that you're in charge of. You're just using the tragedy of the situation in order to push your agenda even though they're not drinking what you have anything to do with anyways. So um, it's really sad. And I, uh, I'm, I'm always going to be anti those organizations because I just think they stifle creativity and they disenfranchise way too many producers, um, you know, especially in Mexico, where it's a place that is already uh, poor when you're asking them to pay for different certifications just so they can throw certain labels on their bottles. Like it just sucks. And it's just like, Oh, you guys are the worst. Well, I, I mean, I think there's, if, if I can play devil's advocate here, I think that the, the reason a lot of these brands came together to create those organizations was so that way they could uh, have some, some semblance of legitimacy right i mean uh they they want they want to be taken seriously and in order to be doing in order to do so they leverage their you know their collective power yeah and i think there's there's ways that you can do that and there's certainly something to be said about having some sort of regulation so that way you can improve a category as a whole you know, if you see the difference in popularity between tequila and mezcal, tequila got its regulation in order 20 plus years before mezcal did. Now look at the difference in between popularity between the two spirits now. You know, it makes a difference for sure. But I do think that there is parts of it that are now becoming like an overreach. And there's ways that you can get things tested. And so like in, in this scenario like the the thing that killed a lot of these people were these really high methanol levels right you can still get spirits tested but then don't have them certified underneath mezcal or whatever and still make them safe to drink so like what you see a lot in america right now is like distillado like distillados which is just someone people who have decided to not go through certification for a variety of reasons Um, but they're still tested in a lab to make sure that the methanol levels are not going to kill people um, but speaking of that, I think the allowed methanol level in Mexico is like 300, um, parts per million, but then in Scotland it's 1200. So, I mean, uh, yeah, like to me, that's like one of the examples of, of how they disenfranchise people, not only just on money wise, but also these insane requirements in order to achieve that, you know? Yeah. I didn't know that. That's a, uh, that's, that's news to me. That's uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, get on my level of hate and knowledge, you know. <laughs> you know, when you were talking about uh, about those folks uh, wondering if you like a thing, all that was playing in my head was the Blink-182 song, uh, the uh, Don't Waste Your Time, You're Already the Voice Inside My Head. Uh, 
<laughs> and I just, I just like to imagine all these emo guys out there just listening, uh, you know, just hearing this song while they're drinking uh, and wondering if you'll appreciate what it is that they, they are enjoying. Right. It's like, Oh, should I send this to Drew or not? Like, am I going to, and, and here's the thing. Like I, I certainly don't, like if, if a friend of mine comes to me with a spirit that they had had that I don't like, but they're not in the industry, like I'm not going to blow them up for that. And, and I wouldn't really do that in general anyways. But, you know, especially someone who's not in the industry because it's like, of course, most of your general population don't know any better. They don't know the practices of people and, and you know, different productions and stuff like that. I mean, I was gifted a bottle of Florida Cana and I was nice to the person who gave it to me. And if that doesn't tell you how much restraint I have, I don't know what will. So well, that is a, that is a rabbit hole we are not prepared to jump down today. I'll go down that <laughs> rabbit hole every day, every opportunity I ever get. I'm in. I'm in for that conversation. <laughs> because the best part is, is that people think they think they know which route I'm going to go, and I throw a curveball and I hit them with all kinds of other shit. It's great. It's one of my favorite conversations now. All right. Well, that's got to be an episode now. It's... Yeah, we'll do it in the future. We we didn't we didn't tease that one, but we teased Chad Brown. So maybe we should play his questions and then get those answered. All right. Here we go. This is Chad Brown. Two questions. With the new protocols and procedures that bars and restaurants will have to take, how do you think it will affect the customer experience? Second question. With these protocols in place probably for a few more months do you think the abc will extend the to-go alcohol order do you think it's something in the future for sacramento specifically good idea bad idea pros and cons thank you <laughs> thank you chad brown <laughs> yeah thank you chad brown uh, why do you lead off on that one um I think the new protocols, uh, I think they're a death sentence for restaurants in general. And then I also, I also feel that depending on the level that a restaurant decides to engage in those protocols, um, I, I think it's a horrible experience. Uh, you know, my wife asked me the other day, it's like, what's the first restaurant that you would want to go to? you know, when this, when, like when we can again, and I was like, I don't know if I want to go to any of them because if it's underneath these guidelines, like that's not the experience that I want. Um, that's not the reason that I go to these places to be six feet away from people to be served food with somebody with, um, you know, a mask on and gloves, you know, potentially there's no silverware, there's no napkins on your table. Like it's just, it just seems so impersonal. And uh, of course I support people. I want, you know, the reality is, is that we haven't gotten any help in this industry for the most part. Um, So if people need to open up and they're willing to do it underneath these regulations, like so be it. But overall, I think there's a group of diners who are not going to want to go to it at all, or they'll go one time and they'll be so uncomfortable for one of two reasons. Cause I do think that there's, I mean, there's already places that have completely thrown these regulations out the window already. We're at least in where in my area where it was opened up, we're two days into this 
And on day two, one of these spots already just threw them out the window and they're like, whatever, we have bar service, we have everything. You know, people are, are piled in. So you have all those people who are gonna like who just don't care, they they want to do it. But what I I read a Nielsen um survey where they found that one in five people plan on returning to or have returned to restaurants that have already opened, you know, by just doing surveys and stuff of areas that have reopened. So one in five. So they don't want that experience, and it's not the experience that you signed up for. And I just well, think that how much of that do you do you attribute to sort of the political climate and and the sort of misinformation uh, experience that we're all going through on social media? Well, I think there's a lot of that, and I do think that if I've learned anything over the past couple of days and watching some of these conversations evolve is people are only empathetic with you if you agree with them. Mm. And, and what I'm seeing is cause if, if we take the Sacramento area, for example, you have um, Placer County and El Dorado County, which are counties that are just outside of Sacramento have opened up. Okay. Sacramento County has not opened up. And you see these attitudes from bartenders and um, servers and people that are in the Sacramento area that are just, you know, tearing apart these restaurants in the suburbs, you know. And it's kind of like, well, what do you expect people to do at this point? If you don't want to go there because you think they're being unsafe, then don't go there. That's just how you solve that. But if we're going to sit here as an industry and you are fully aware of how little help our industry has gotten, whether it's the state government, the federal government, just things in general, it's almost got no help where I'm starting to feel that where I thought the closures before were going to be around 30%, I think you're going to be closer to 40 now because of just these different rules and how these loans really look. And there's no choice. And I think a lot of that also has to do with the political leanings of people. Whereas, you know, in the city and stuff like that, you have a lot of people who tend to be a little more progressive, a little bit more liberal. You get out into the suburbs, starts to get a little bit more conservative. And they're sitting there like, Hey, I gotta, I gotta open a restaurant. I gotta find a way to pay the bills. I didn't get a loan or I can't, I can't meet the requirements of the loan. And my employees can't do that. So here we are. Let's 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 get it going. So it's been it's been really nasty to kind of see so much of our industry like tear people apart for opening up and trying to make a living at this point. And they're doing it with permission from their local governments, you know? Like I understand someone who just who just is like Fuck you guys. I'm opening up. I don't care. I'm not doing anything. But it's like if you get the go ahead from the county that you're in, why would why wouldn't you? And with the exception of people who are like they don't want to work under those conditions. You know, which I know that's which I know is a case as well. And I respect that decision. I yeah, it's I, I, I think it's a, a difficult one if you're talking about people who own own uh, the you know, the business and people who work the business and having to balance those. For sure the the ecosystem between the two are not removed you know like yeah. the the owners 
and the employees both have to be taken care of. And that's just the reality that, that we live in. It's not, you know, at least in our industry, it's not that the owners are some, you know, monopoly man with a fucking monocle who's deciding to put everybody back to work. Right. It's, uh, right. it's, somebody, it's somebody's dream. It's, it's something that somebody has worked for a lot of their life to be able to achieve. And they're just trying to keep it afloat and they're just praying that their employees come back. Um, you know, you know, but with that being said, I'm, I'm a little bit of a different mind than you. I am, I'm not hesitant to go out. I am very excited to to go out to places that I that I research that I I feel are doing a good job so way I could support them. Also, I'm very excited to see how they embrace the new challenges to create a new environment. And in no way do I think these rules and regulations are something that that will last but i want i am someone who gets so excited about new challenges and seeing how people i don't know create environments how people i mean this is a chance i i feel feel like for a lot of business owners to essentially create a new pop-up you know they can create an environment within their environment to develop an experience that people wouldn't normally have. And and next week we're going to talk to someone who I think has done an, an, an just a stellar job at it. I, I, I've been lucky enough to have a virtual walkthrough of his space. I don't, I don't know if he gave you one as well. Yeah, I got uh, one. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I am so excited. I mean, just leaning into it. I, I'd like to see people take this as an opportunity and as a challenge to use their creativity. You know, don't bitch and moan about the fact that you have to keep people safe, lean into it, use it and create, you know, develop your own voice. I think this is a great reason to sort of move away from the multitude of, of homogenized voices that, that sort of, crowded the marketplace use this as a reason to to develop your own voice and show your own creativity that's now the way i feel sort of academically if we put into place you know sort of the human cost i i am incredibly sympathetic i don't i don't really have words for that you know there's going to be a lot of people who are out of work there's going to be a lot of people who will probably leave our industry and um, some of which are incredibly talented and we're going to be at a loss. We're going to be at a loss for that, you know? Um, And I, I don't, I don't really have a good way of embracing that sentimentality. Yeah. I I just, you know, again, I think your your certain expectations, I mean, part of going out is that level of, you know, kind of like escape and, you know, especially if you're going to like a fine dining place, I just don't see how it works in that scenario. You know, I, I think our, you know, our guy or friend that we're talking about, it very could well work. We're going to go up there and we're going to see how it, how it feels, you know, in theory, it seems great, but until I'm actually in it, like, is it great? Um, we're going to find out. And it's also something that, 
it, it also feels like different counties are going to have different rules and how they're going to enforce it. And I think we're, I think what we're going to see over the next couple of weeks is one of two things. People are going to, we're going to see a huge spike and things will get shut down again, or people will just be like, F it. I'm doing whatever I want. And I kind of already feel like we're there. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure that that or exists. I, I, I'm, I'm pretty positive. It's an, and right. Uh, We're going to see another spike and we're going to see people who also say, fuck it. We're just going to do what we want. Yeah. And I just hope that the, the conversation changes where, people can be supportive like of that. You know, I, I'm not going to tell people not to go to a place and, you know, create lists of like, Oh, any place that opens up right now, like let's just not go there. It's like, that's just not the wrong. That's just the wrong mentality. We're all trying to survive right now. Um, okay. So then into chat, second question, do you think these rules will be extended for how long? And do you think any of them are permanent? I, I don't know. I think it's hard. <laughs> I think it's hard to withdraw certain certain regulations that you open the floodgates for. You know, so here in California, we were given the go for to go cocktails, right? Yeah. I don't. I I find that difficult to believe that um, with at least so relatively few fuck-ups on part of the consuming public that that we would see that withdrawn. I feel like we've been a good case study for why that should continue. You know, but I you know, who knows? The politicization of of that might might come down the pipe in six months. So so what do I know? But I feel like because we haven't had an overwhelming amount of people losing their fucking minds and burning public parks to the ground because they were allowed to take to go cocktails. I feel like that's going to be a hard one to withdraw selling entire bottles out of bars. That might, that one will probably go away. I don't imagine that one will be something that that can stay. Um, uh, Simply from an economic standpoint right like because if bars are allowed to do that then what's the difference from me being allowed to sell cocktails out of my bottle shop right like and then and then it's just mayhem from there and in, in which the, the <laughs> poor bureaucratic government doesn't know how to make ups and downs from anything that's going on so i imagine that, that one will probably go away yeah I, i'm in 100 percent agreement with you i think they're I think you keep the the cocktails. They for sure at least go through the winter. Um, I I I believe that the California government will come out and be like, we're going to keep these temporary things in place because we want to help people get back as quickly as possible. So we want to continue to encourage to go orders if people don't feel comfortable going to restaurants. We want to make sure that we give restaurants as much of a leg up as we can without actually having to help them. Um, you know, because that's just, I mean, right. that's just, that's just, the, that's just the reality. But I do agree that the bottle selling will, will absolutely stop. And for exactly the reason that you had mentioned, there needs to be some differentiation between liquor stores and, you know, and restaurants, bars, convenience stores, all I mean, that stuff. I mean, there needs to be. Might go the, California might go the route that like uh, New Jersey does, right? Which is you could buy beer and wine to go, but you can't buy booze. 
I mean, you can walk out with wine bottles at this point. Right. But they have to be technically opened. Yeah. In New Jersey, I speak from experience, you can can go down to your local bar and buy a six-pack to take home. Just like that. Okay. But I can't buy a bottle of vodka to go. It's a weird weird choice to make. Well, I mean, beer and wine have always have always occupied a different legal space than hard alcohol. Yeah. So I, I we might we might see that. I I'm really interested to see see what changes in in the months to come. I, I, I think that it's hard to open floodgates and then close them again, right? Especially when nothing catastrophic has happened. Right. I agree. I totally agree. And I mean, again, it's just coming down to um, having the differentiation, but then also giving restaurants as, you know, much of a, much of an assist without actually assisting them. Um, well, I mean, that, that is an assist. Loosing regulation is an assist. I mean, that allows people to, uh, to develop their own income without you providing it to them. Yeah. Okay. So let me ask, let me ask you this. If you, if, if we think this is going to continue, um, just to spice it up a little bit, will it be under the same parameters that you have to buy food? No, Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Be a pundit. Give an educated guess. (laughs) Well, well, I don't know. I don't serve us here. Okay. Okay. All right. I don't think so. Is is my educated guess. I think that the under food is too hard to regulate. What I will say is is just like with uh, with a liquor license, a restaurant license, their sales will have to remain the same. So they will have to still produce over a fifty percent margin that is food related versus booze related. Yeah, that's my guess. And I'm going to go with an educated guess, and that's my punditry for the day. That's uh, there. It is. I'm in. <laughs> Can't handle. What do you that. think? I I think they get rid of the food thing, and you can just do to go cocktails. Because what you're going to end up because eventually what you have to do is you have to open up bars, just straight bars. Um. Well, I mean that's not unheard of. Right, I mean, outside of outside of our our uh, metropolitan area. Right, I think I think what what you end up seeing though is like you can only do cocktails. Like you won't be able to do just straight spirits. You know, like you can't just say send someone off with like a to go shot. I think you'll have to do some sort of cocktail with it. That'll be the rule. I mean, my my hope is that we end up with. Uh, you know, Louisiana style drive through slushy machines, slushy. Oh my to God. Could you imagine? Uh, it would make me so happy. I mean, they would be terrible, but it would give me an amazing business opportunity. <laughs> I could crush it. I could be the Dutch brothers of slushies. Could you imagine that the lines for that would just be even worse? The Dutch brother lines. Well, not my fault. Oh my God. All right, so now, so so Chad, thank you so much for for giving those 
those questions and more talking points for us. It definitely, you know, it's good to good to have some assist on on content creation. So, um, Chad, keep sending them to us, even if we don't ask you to. Just do it. Um, but now we're gonna we're gonna move on to an interview that you did this week. Yeah, right? uh, the my uh, discussion with Rick was. I think in depth, not as long as it should have been. I Rick has a great insight and it's not one that, that, you know, I think a lot of people might agree with, but I think that it comes from a place of education and someone who is insightful and taking the long view. I think that Rick's, if I were personally, um, to give my own analysis, I think I think uh, Rick removes some of the human cost from uh, from his analysis, but I think it's still pretty spot on um, with with his theory of where we're heading in the in the next few years. All right, I'm here with Rick Dobbs. Rick owns uh, two two bars and restaurants in California here, and uh, before the shelter-in-place, was in the process of opening a third. Uh, how you doing, Rick? Pretty good. Doing uh, <laughs> Still trying to get that third open. Yeah, I bet. Um, I'm sure that it's not easy in this time. But uh, why don't we uh, start by taking a lay of the land of, of where, where business was prior to this. And, um, and how how all that was running? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good starting point because uh, the you know how business was prior to this was kind of looking for a correction like this. Obviously, not well, not obviously, but you know, no one wanted to be where it was this much this jarring, this brutal. Um, but you know, we we had been we were in a place where people were opening bars and restaurants that kind of had no business doing it. And, um, but they didn't have any other choice either because, uh, you, c- you can't open a, you can't open a dress shop anymore. You can't open a knickknack shop. You know, it's tough to even open a, a cheese shop, um, because Amazon and Etsy and everything else will deliver that to you. So, um, you know, so the only thing left to open is something that provides an experience that can't be, you know, put on Amazon prime. And that is something like a, a restaurant. So there's a bunch of people that were in the business that are opening restaurants um, that are entrepreneurs. They're go-getters. They're, you know, they're, they certainly have that spirit, but they were not in a place that they should have, you know, done something like this. And that created this huge glut. So if we talk about what it was, you know, what the, the lay of the land looked like in January, you know, there was a giant glut of restaurants. And, you know, I know you're in Sacramento and, you know, even in Sacramento, certainly, excuse me, San Francisco, even where we're, we're at in the Far East Bay, um, there's just a huge amount of restaurants. And there's only so much business to go around. And so, you know, in some cities like San Francisco, that's what you do is eat out every night, right? So you, 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 there's a little bit more of a, a buffer there. But even, but even then, there was, it was becoming where you had to be so busy on a Tuesday um, that you couldn't do anything that was kind of eclectic, esoteric, weird, if you want to say that. Um, you had to be, your rent was so high, your cost, your cost of entry was so high. You had to have something that was going to just also be packed on a Tuesday. 
Whereas before you could kind of do all right on Tuesday and then make all your money Friday, Saturday, because your rent was decent. Your labor costs weren't so high, you know, and I'm talking 15 years ago. Um, so that's why San Francisco, a place like San Francisco was able to get uh, all these cool, neat, eclectic places that we all love so much. Um, but now we, you know, we look at places that have opened even in the last three, four years. They're rather homogenized. They're not super, they're not super interesting. Um, yeah. I, and that's a long way of I saying that. Uh, that was uh, agree that's with how that. the big cities are handling it. And, uh, but if you look at places like Sacramento, like which has a great going out crowd, they're friendly, well, they're fun. Um, I had lost you. Hang on, Rick. Oh. Hang on. I'm going to make a note note of it here. Uh, uh. Okay, let's uh, let's go back to homogenized. Okay, so the you know the in San Francisco the business has become so homogenized because you have to be so busy on a Tuesday. Um, but now, um, you know, when we're, we're, like, even if you look at some of the stuff that's starting to win awards for best bars, um, in the larger cities, it's stuff when you walk in there, there's, there's nothing that's, that's making you go, I have to come back here. You know, and there was, there was a time when you'd walk into bars in other cities and you would just be like, this place is amazing. I'm literally going to, you know, have another vacation in this town just so I can come back here. Um, yeah, yeah. And now the places that are opening, they they have to appeal to such a wide audience rather than the eclectic crowd that that just is not happening anymore. And now we talk about places like Sacramento or Sacramento, Phoenix, uh, San Antonio. You know, we can move east all we want. But towns that are, you know, have a good scene, have a good uh, um, good crowd that are really fun and friendly and, and know their stuff. Um, there's still so much, uh, uh, saturation there. So, um, you know, there, all that to say there, there had to be a falling out. There had to be a time when all of this chaff would move to the side. Unfortunately, yeah. go ahead. Sorry. Oh no, I was going to say, I, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I, I've had a discussion with many, many industry professionals and, and lifers who are baffled by, you know, the, the concept that, you know, a bar back two years ago is now like running their own program as if, you know, they, they are experienced and they have the skill set to be able to do so. But it's, it's the need of having a body in the position, um, with, yeah, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail. I agree with you. It's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it's like, that's been happening. That's a labor problem, right? That was because we had, and actually that's a positive. What's about to, what about what we're about to deal with is a positive on that. But you know, in the last six years, we've been having such a hard time finding people to work um, that we've had no choice but to promote some bar back with promise into a lead bartender position, um, you know, quickly within, you know, the first six months. And and I'm, I know you have been around enough to, if it didn't happen to you, you've heard this. It's like, we've, I've, we've literally had people come in and go, you know, on their first week, it's like, yeah, so when do I get to have menu input? Come on, yeah. So, um, I'm like, when when you can fucking make what's on the menu right now, and you know, make what's on the menu right now consistently, then we can even we can maybe start that conversation. But yeah, and so that's actually the positive because what's happening right now is a lot of stuff is closing is closing down. It's not going to open, and that's part of the you know, it's part of the the unfortunate consequence of this fallout being so, um massive and in your face is that 
uh, we're going to lose some of the good ones too. But um, I mean, Biba's in Sacramento is probably a good example. Yeah, it's a great um, example. I mean, since since she passed away, no one was really expecting that to go forever. But um, but uh, uh, so we we are going to lose some good ones in that in that sense. But that also reduces the. I mean, I you know when we opened Last Word, our first restaurant, um, we had the most incredible staff. I mean, to this day, there's. And I've been in so many other restaurants and, you know, so many other places and I've loved so many of them. But to this day, I cannot think of a better opening staff than what we had at Last Word when we opened. Um, and they, the, the only reason why Last Word became so successful so quickly, you know, to and got so many accolades and all that was because I had 400 resumes to choose from and I hired the best 15 people out of that. When we opened sure. our second restaurant, which was two and a half years ago, it was, you know, it was like, um, oh, you're on time for your interview. You're hired. <laughs> you know, we yeah. had we had too many people that are placeholders. Um, so now there's this whole crew um, of people, you know, and this is the exciting thing about, you know, my new bar. Uh, one of the things I was stressing about was making sure that I because what I'm about to do is is significantly different when it comes to. Uh, uh, how we handle our customers and um, the, and I was super concerned about finding people that could do that with us. Um, but the really cool thing is now I, I'm going to have the, the pick of the litter again. I'm going to, the people that are coming to me that are saying, Hey, I, I want to work for you. I want to do something cool. I mean, they, all those placeholders, all those people that were kind of, kind of in the business, but not really, we're just doing it because, you know, uh, aviation, I had so many people that work day jobs and this is a Bay area problem, but, um, right. that work day jobs. And then, uh, also they were exhausted after sitting at a desk for eight hours. And then now they kind of, they came were our servers and they, you know, they certainly did were good people. They did, they did what they could, but there's a big difference between providing experience and getting the order out in a timely fashion. Definitely. And, uh, um, we were, we were able to get that order out in a timely fashion. We we're able to get the drinks to people, but man, you go to a bar cause like, you know, you and I do it all the time. Like we go to a bar cause we want to fuck with the bartender. We have, maybe we have our date with us or whatever. And, you know, we want to have a good time. And what was started to happen so much at so many places was like, we got our drink, which is great. You know, we were so happy to just get our drink in a, in a timely fashion and it was a good drink. And if it was consistent, that, that was even better. But man, that experience just wasn't there. So yeah. this, I mean, and I've kind of moved into what it's going to look like post uh, uh, COVID, but um, you know, it's uh, that's, we're going to start seeing that kind of fun experience come back to it because now we have the staff that can provide it. Okay. So we're talking about, we're talking about um, ability. We're talking about training. We're talking um, about being able to, to facilitate new concepts, but in, in the world that at least right now that we're sort of living in, right? Like are, are any of the properties doing to go cocktails? Are they, are they pairing with food? Are you, are you taking advantage of any of those sorts of things? Yeah. But you know that, I mean, and anyone, if anyone is telling you like anyone that's not Chipotle that's saying, yeah, we're doing fine this way is, is lying, you know? Sure. Um, it's, it's a way to keep people busy. It's a way to keep some of your staff employed. It's a way to keep the lights on. 
Um, it's no one's no one's excelling at this. This is not like oh, this is my new business model. Where we're we're doing so well. I'm going to just keep doing this even after it all comes back, right? So yeah, I, I don't imagine that there's there's really a concept in place where where something like this, unless you have uh, unless you have like a slushy machine and a drive through window, right? Like there's yeah, there's like no way that I can, yeah. yeah, exactly. Like yeah. there's no there's no way that this is truly enjoyable. Like this is a placeholder, right? But yeah, I'm cur- I'm curious what um, it, you know, what if anything, do you think that that the innovations are there innovations or are, are there any innovations that you think that could carry over into a, into a post COVID sort of um, experience? That's a pretty good question. Uh, I say it's a good question because I think I have a good answer for it, but the, <laughs> um, I think it's like it, it, the, the real question is like, okay, well um, d- did we open Pandora's box for to go cocktails? Are we going to be able to pull that back in? So it's tough to say these are the things that we're going to, um, these are the innovations that we've found. But um, I think anyone who's, who has thought for 30 seconds about this business, which granted it's not a lot of people, but, you know, if anyone who has thought for a little bit about this business, they've understood that there's, they, you can see the writing on the wall where there's really two options in the business, especially when you talk about restaurant bars, um, resto bars, the, uh, <laughs> When you talk about those, it's like um, you have two options. You can do fast casual, order at the counter. You can take it with you or maybe you get a number. You sit down and your number is called and um, or you put a number at your table and it gets dropped. So you have someone sitting at the register and then you have runners. Um, so there's that option. The only people that are, that, that are going to be outside of that, they're going to make money are going to be the ones providing a full experience. Um, some, you know, where the, you know, like a steakhouse, uh, Morton's is a great example. Morton's will never, well, not, that the style of Morton's will always be in, uh, in vogue because they're providing a steakhouse experience. Right. And uh, um, that means, you know, plenty of staff, great service. Um, there's a, there's a vibe there. Or even something I know that, you know, they're now defunct, but they probably would have done much better in this new world is like something like Rainforest Cafe, where it's, again, it's an experience. And people that are willing to, people that want food can be, are, are becoming more and more price sensitive. So they're, yeah, that burger is $14, but there's no way they're going to pay $19 for it in order to sit down at a mediocre place and have that burger. Um, but they will they so they will do that at like have a grill you know fast casual something like uh-huh. that uh-huh. um but when people are ready for an experience they are going to they're not going to be price sensitive at all it's going to be i mean disneyland has taught us this this is this is this is the world disney has created because when you go to disneyland or disney world you know no stone is left unturned there's no dead flowers there's nothing that they have missed there's no trash anywhere there's like it's all, there's so many little details that they have thought of. Um, and I mean, that, and that's the stuff that, you know, maybe as bartenders, you and I would see, but the stuff that a family sees, they may not notice that, but it creates the whole energy and vibe. And it, it all, you know, and to add to that, maybe there's a princess that suddenly shows up and that, you know, gives their daughter the greatest day of their life. So um, Disney has taught us that, uh, you know, the experience is everything. And they've also taught, taught us, 
thankfully or not thankfully, depending on how you want to look at it. But it also taught us that there's no price you won't pay for that experience, right? Their tickets are now, I think, 190 200 So, yeah. I mean, to walk in the door with your family, you're at a thousand bucks, right? That's not including any of the food or any other stuff, you, all the crap you got to buy your kid, all that. But no one even thinks about that. And, and they, and Disney learned because when I was, so I've been to Disneyland, I, I lived pretty close to Disneyland. My grandparents would buy me the season pass every summer. Um, I've probably been to Disneyland. I mean, no exaggeration, easily over a thousand times. And if I was exaggerating, I'd be closer to 2,500. So um, <laughs> I've easily been so many times. That's just what I did all the time. And it used to be so unbelievably packed because they did like this $20. Um, if you lived in SoCal, you could go for 20 bucks. Um, and they were thinking, oh, we want to pack the place and then they're going to buy our food and stuff. We're going to make our money there. And then they finally realized, wait a minute, this is not providing a good experience for people because the lines are getting too long. It's even costing too, it's even taking too long to get our food, people's food. So like, we're going to raise the price. And they did it. They did it really consistently. I mean, if you look at even 10 years ago, the price, I think it was $90. So it has gone. Yeah, I, feel like it, it, I feel like it goes up every year still. Yeah. Like, and it's gone well year. beyond inflation. Yeah. And actually ski yeah. resort, ski resorts even caught onto the same right. model. Right. Um, yeah. We would rather have less people that are super happy that are spending way more um, versus having a bunch of people and um, providing a not great experience. So, I think, you know, so those are the two ends of the spectrum on the restaurant. And I, and I think if we talk about what looks like five, 10 years from now, there's, you know, there's always going to be those little places that survive somewhere in the middle. But if, if we take a, a poll five, 10 years from now, who's providing fast casual, who's providing, um, you know, there's going to be a huge, who's providing a high end experience. There's going to be a huge number of those two, and there's going to be very few in the middle. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but if I if I were to sort of summarize your thesis, you you know, pre-COVID, um, you know, shelter in place, what we're looking at is um, mediocrity rules, sure. And post post-COVID, your sort of assumption and breakdown of what of what we're looking at is, you know, is sort of is t- the two other ends of the spectrum, which is, you know, maybe maybe not McDonald'sization, but something along those lines, something fast, easy, yeah. appro- price approachable. And then, you know, the other end being. Avery. No, absolutely. And it, and you, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Totally. I mean, you're right on it. And if you take, boomers mean, t- out of the, if you take boomers out of the equation, cause they're, they're becoming less and less relevant. But if you talk about, you know, Gen X who are, you, assumedly going to take over with all that money and then we millennials and gen z and they are going to be very much more into wait i know i'm going to chipotle i'm knowing i'm i know i'm spending ten dollars and if it gets messed up that's fine they're you know they're not as high strong as as a lot of the boomers are about it sometimes millennials can get that way too but um they're not as high strong about i have to go to chipotle and everything has to be perfect right they get it. They understand they're spending ten dollars. They know what they're getting what they pay for. They understand, um, but so they are that they're going to be fine with that. What's going to happen is the second they spend more than ten dollars for that burrito, like they go to a you know a nice Mexican place that you know has uh, mariachi singers or something other whatever, and becomes twenty five thirty dollars a person without drinks, then um, their expectations ramp way up. 
right? So if their expectations ramp way up, that's when a little thing could destroy like in their Yelp reviews, you know, that's when they get one or two stars on Yelp. So that's not going to be worth it for, for so many people. Now, when they go to a place that when those, that same crowd goes to Morton's um, or whatever great steakhouse or whatever, you know, high end, uh, they go and do a sit down French laundry, whatever you want to call it. Um, they are, they're not, they're not even looking at the bill anymore. They're just thinking about the experience and because it's, it's, uh, uh, you know, it, maybe, maybe Vegas has taught us this, like Vegas has taught us, like you, you save all year to go spend three days in Vegas and spend it all and look like a fucking high roller. Right. Right. Your whole your when you go to Vegas, you want to look like you are a baller regardless of what you do when you, when you're home. So, because Vegas provides that experience. So if we can, you know, the places that are providing experience are going to be the ones that are, are sitting high on the profit margin. The ones that are fast, casual, all that, that are doing the volume. They're the ones going to, they're going to, they're going to make it up on volume. So um, the stuff in between a, uh, um, you know, a place that's kind of family friendly and, you know, still does table service and, um, but they're still trying you, uh, you know, after a while, if it's not some great experience and you're, you know, you're trying to charge 15, $17 for a burger, that's not going to fly. So do you think, do you think that the sort of the human cost of, of a reduction in, um, in labor is going to see the same fluctuations or do you think that it's going to even out? Like, do you, do you think that the, the labor that we had running prior, um, in, in sheer just numbers of manpower, do you think that that's going to find its place in in those two, or do you think that there's going to be a, a gross reduction? Well, yeah, I mean that's a great question because labor is what's driving that change. You know, it's like you can't. Um, no one's gonna no one's gonna pay twenty to be uh, who who's the uh, um, David Chang? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he was like, my ramen should be $35 for a bowl of ramen. I mean, he, he said that. And, uh, but he also was like, no one's going to pay $35 for ramen. And, uh, uh, so, you know, so he's, he's cutting his ramen way back his prices and hopefully making money on booze. But, um, so yeah, I mean, the, if we are talking about, Oh, we got to take care of our employees. They got they got to make a living wage, and I agree with all these things. Um, then you have to charge accordingly. The only way to charge accordingly is to give them a thirty five dollar bowl of ramen, and the market will not support a thirty five dollar bowl of ramen yet. Maybe that changes. I don't. You know, maybe people finally realize like how much goes into all this. I you know I'm not. Optimistic. I doubt it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. I mean, so if you can't do that, then you have to make you know, you have to reduce staff and you have to make a $15 bowl of ramen that you can just get out and, and serve to everybody. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's long-term in the short term in the next, this is the stuff that's really frustrating right now because we're talking about what's coming, what's happening with COVID, you know, just, let's just talk about the next six months of, of how the restaurant business looks with COVID. Let's not even talk about overall strategies, anything like that. Uh, so in California, he came down with all of these guidelines. Like, this is how you have to do it. I'm not against any of these guidelines. I don't know enough to be like, oh, well, this is ridiculous. But these are the guidelines. So, but the bottom line is, you're telling me I have to have reduced 
end of the day, I'm having less customers, but I have all these extra guidelines. And the only way to, to manage, manage all these extra guidelines is with extra staff. So now right. I'm, you know, I'm like <laughs> aviation. Our second restaurant is, uh, you have to take an elevator. So am I now paying someone to wipe down the elevator buttons every time? <laughs> right? <laughs> or do I buy a UVC light that just goes over the elevator buttons so that it kills any bacteria? Um, you know, things like that. It's like, so it's, I mean, all of it sounds to me like, okay, we have to, we have to basically sanitize the table, like put it through a fucking wash, you know, car wash after every time someone sits there. So a server's not going to do that. They're not going to, hopefully they're not going to have time, but so now I have to hire someone to do that. That's the bus boy's job. But when I had one bus boy who was handling everything, he, he could do pretty well. Um, but now that we're adding all these extra features, so now I have to have two, but I'm having reduced revenue. So now do I charge a COVID service charge or do I raise my prices so that people are like, but then again, like, are they willing to pay $19 for that burger that I charged $14 before six months ago? Right. So it's a, uh, that's going to be, you know. I, I think we're not going to see a lot of restaurants close. You know, I think we're starting to see some restaurants close down because of this. And I think some people were using this. Some people were, uh, you know, Bebas is actually probably a pretty good example. Um, they were kind of done. They were, you know, they, they were doing good business, but it was a lot of work. They'd been there 30 years. And, um, you know, this is a good way to kind of gracefully exit. And I, I think we've seen a, a few restaurants do that. Yeah, um, and at least with Bebas, man, they they went out on top because they were taking they were taking to go orders. And I know I know my wife was uh, on on the phone at nine o'clock in the morning trying to get through to to place an order. Yeah, like and, get a lasagna uh, from there or something. Yeah, she, every day yeah. she called like at least two hundred times and never yeah. got through for like three days straight before she. Yeah, I just hope they put like their, mashed, <laughs> their, their garlic mashed potato recipe online or something. So that we yeah, can they make. should. They, I mean, a place like that, you definitely want them to like yeah. produce a cookbook or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but you know, I, I think I think there's a lot. Of, there were a lot of places that were kind of struggling, and this was kind of the deal clincher, or they were just over it, and they could they found a way to get out. So that, you know, that happens, that's fine. But I, but I think, uh, we're not seeing a lot. I'm not seeing as many places, you know, if you would ask me a month ago, I would, I would have told you that there's a lot more places that I thought were already have announced that they're never coming back. But I think, I think if we come back and we start looking at what August, September, October looks like, that's when we're going to really see the fallout. We're really going to see places like, you know what, we can't do this under these conditions. We can't stay in business. Um, and they're going to be crying to the city and all that stuff to, you know, to try to save them. And that's, unfortunately, that's not how the market works, but um, it's uh, that's when we're going to really see the places drop like flies, especially once it, we talk about whatever loans they got. I mean, some of the loans I know they're like becoming forgivable and stuff like that, but um, it's not, um, there's other loans that people are taking. They're taking their, you know, their, uh, Amex loans and stuff like that because they want to stay in business. They want to, you know, this is their dream. Like you're going to, it's your baby. You're going to do whatever it takes to keep your baby alive, you know? Yep. So, um, and that, if that means going in heavily in debt, but at some point you're like, we, you know, it's flatline, man. We just can't do this. And, uh, um, so we'll see those, we'll see a lot of the restaurants really start flailing. Um, you know, if we talk about January, this coming this next January, 
and we ran a fuckedcompany.com for restaurants and uh um we just we just listed the fallout it's the flood is going to be pretty big yeah i i i'm tempted to to believe you on that as well and you know we'll definitely be keeping our our ear to the ground trying to see how that goes um but thanks for uh thanks for your input man i really appreciate it and i um i hope our listeners get some get some value out of that as well yeah glad to chat about it man anytime all right buddy take care bye brother hey drew do you have any final thoughts yeah, I, I think we're all in a really tough position right now. There's, There really isn't a clear-cut right or wrong answer. We're not existing in a black and white world. It's very gray right now. Um, there's so many things that are stacked against our industry that I don't think that we need to turn on each other and cannibalize each other uh, at this time. If there's places that are opening up that you don't agree with, just don't fucking go there. You don't need to add to any negativity um, or anything like that. People are just trying to make it in a world that doesn't appear that wants to see them make it. Uh, Cause you know, consumers are going to be shitty. The government's not helping. So we don't need to turn on each other. We're eventually all going to get through this, but tearing each other down at this point, you know, whether it's on Facebook or any other venue, it's just let's share ideas. Let's find ways to make this work. Let's get this industry back open. Let's get people working again, making money, and enjoying what we get to do. Let's get back to that. Yeah, I agree. I um, I think there's a lot of negativity. Uh, we live in a world in the last few years that it seems to be very, um, I don't know if this is a word, but hiker, hyper-dichotomized. <laughs> there's, wow there's no way that's we're a word very, that's not no way yeah we're very polarized how about that uh, i'm in i'm in uh, on that uh i like dichotomized sure but that doesn't mean it's real because you like it that is fair but it hasn't stopped <laughs> me in the past so i'm still going fair uh enough. i th- i think that we we need to take the short view we need to calculate the human cost and we need to also take the long view and see if we can find um, a middle point of that parabola. You know, if we, if we can find where those two equations intersect and, and try to reduce the harm that any of this uh, produces, that's, that's sort of where I am. I mean, I, and, and, it's nice to speak about it in academic terms. The reality is, is not a lot of us know, you know, there's going to be a lot of economists. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, uh, uh, social workers. There's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, you know, health workers out there who all have different opinions on what that looks like. Um, but we're, we're, the goal is to not step outside of your lane and to be open to what other people have to say and to be willing to respond with your only your own expertise and not overstep your bounds you know just because you saw a video on youtube doesn't make you an expert and i i think that that's that's something really important to to sort of take home yeah or 
if you're a bartender, you might not be an expert on global pandemics. There's that. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's, there, there, there's that, you know, <laughs> I mean, but you also might be, I know enough, I know enough bartenders who are very well educated, so it might just happen, but yeah. Hey, I look, I look forward to that day. I look forward to meeting that person. Um, but yeah, well, you know, like I said, we'll, we'll see what happens, but let's try to, let's try to just be on team industry. And then, um, you know, from there we'll, we'll see what the hell happens. All right, guys. Y'all have a wonderful week. We're going to touch back, and uh, y'all stay up. (laughs) All right. Cheers, buddy. All right, homie. Nailed it.